Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Hello and welcome to Down with D&D. I am Sean Merwin and I am here with Teos Alpha Stream Abadia. Hello, Sean. How are you doing, my friend? I am still awake and alive on this Monday morning for our uh, recording session and hopefully we'll still be on Thursday when the show normally drops. That sounds great. Yeah. Fantastic. How, how, we how, like how, you alive. How are you holding up? Uh, pretty well. I've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, the usual juggle of writing and family and stuff. But what I love is just when I'm like deep into a writing project, I mean, I'm actually coming out of it now. But when I'm uh, when I go through that process, like just all the ideas, mm-hmm. I, it reminds me of a turkey basking in its juices, really. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. There, there are different phases of writing and thinking is one phase. Right, right, but writing mm-hmm. is is one yeah. of those phases where there really is sort of a writer's high. Yeah, um, there is, and, and just when you're like, "Yes, this this is going to be so yeah. fun." Yeah, so I, I absolutely get energized when I'm when I'm writing. It's it's great. Yep. I interrupted you. You were about to say something. I was going to make a bad joke about turkeys basking in juices and something else, but okay. let's move on. Well, it's, it is coming up on uh, Thanksgiving, and yeah, in yeah. happy days. Thanksgiving to our That's listeners. True. Happy Thanksgiving, right? I, I'm thinking it's two weeks away, and it's actually like three days away. Yeah. So, well, you what know, is time? 2020 cannot be over soon enough. Nope. So, with that, let's talk some D and D news, shall we? Woo! All right. First up, the D and D play activity survey is up and available on the Wizards.com website. They want to hear from you. They want to hear about your play, your purchases, your interactions with the game both when you first started and what you're currently doing and they want it in several languages which is new yeah Yeah, that's kind of cool so english german spanish french italian japanese polish and portuguese which i think are all the languages where dnd is written through the license agreement they have uh to translate in other countries okay that makes sense and i am not surprised i'm a little surprised by polish um that that yeah. that seems pretty specific but hey maybe uh maybe polish is spoken uh more uh than i than i had imagined yeah i think that the the biggest issue from what i've seen is just that the economy makes it hard to purchase the books there uh but i do believe that's one of the places where there are translated copies although i didn't see on the list i think korean uh korea is an, is an area where the books available and there may be a couple there so, so actually now that i look at the list second time there may be some slight differences but yeah it'd be interesting to see whether there's some math behind some data behind this right yeah i know that we have at least in adventures league there is a a russian contingent that's not insignificant and so yeah and al has a group uh in the arabic region uh i'm trying to think where they're based i can't remember I cannot remember, but there's an account for it on Twitter and then uh, Singapore. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so there are a couple of pockets that aren't covered by this, but, but yep. yeah, very interesting. I'm surprised they didn't do it in Australian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I thought some of the questions were worded strangely, so maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe that was Australian. We just didn't know it. Exactly. No, no offense to our Australian listeners uh, out it, there. It is a huge survey, uh, so set aside some time, but I thought it was worth doing. I mean, first of all, you get to vote for Dark Sun as the best setting, as you always do. I mean, I know all the listeners do that. <laughs> but uh, but there are, there are a number of interesting questions there. You just have to set a lot some time to go through it. Yep. And it's always interesting to me to see what they ask, what what they might ask that's different from previous iterations of this survey. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it got me cogitating on, how when when i learned to play there was no internet uh there's barely telephone so yeah. uh you know so you learned in a very specific way you you either learned by reading the books and those books were not easy to read or you learned by sitting down and playing with someone who at least pretended to know the rules 
and how how different that is now. Um, it's supremely different. And and when you look at these survey questions, you realize how it's almost like the way that so many of us learn isn't almost an option anymore in the yeah. survey, you know, or, or it's just, it's really sidetracked. It's all these assumptions around digital space, digital communication, digital learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I look back at my purchases, yeah, it's like, did you buy this book? Yes. Did you buy it in hard cut, you know, physical form or digital? I'm like, digital, 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 <laughs> digital. Huh. Yeah. Still, I, I still love a paper book, but anyway. Yeah. So that is there. Go to the wizards.com website and it'll be one of the first things you see. Uh, click on it. Give them your feedback so they can uh, make sure that your needs and your wants are covered when they make their new plans for uh, for their publications. Also up on the Wizards website is the D&D Holiday Gift Guide. You can download it in three flavors, the U.S., the U.K. or Asia uh, Pacific which apparently includes Australia. Uh, well, it's with- actually more that it's like, it's it's maybe really what they mean is Australia or it's through Australia. Okay. It's it's very like, you know, for saying Asia Pacific. Right. Which to me does not immediately trigger Australia. Right. Uh, that seems to kind of, it's all through Amazon, AU and, okay. and the like. And so it's, it's maybe a little Australia focused. Yeah. And uh, some really, some really neat things. I have to admit, I'm not a big consumer, but I did purchase a couple of things uh, for family and friends that that really st- stuck out. Um, what did you think of the gift guide? Yeah, uh, I was actually surprised at how many of these items I had not heard about because I do follow this sort of stuff. I don't necessarily buy a ton of it, but but I, I like to see you know who's making the t-shirts and what are the designs and. Right. You know, why does Drizzt have the wrong swords in his hands? And, you know, there are just other things here that I was like, well, I've never seen that mug or that glow in the dark, whatever. And, you know, all these doohickeys. And so it's surprising. There's this much stuff out there. And I don't think actually the brand is doing a good enough job of pushing it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is true that I, I like to, even though I'm not a consumer per se, I like to keep my eye on what the brand is doing and that. And there were a lot of things that I was just like, I had no idea that this was a thing out there. Yeah. And I can only imagine what that means then to the more casual player. They really are not aware that these things are available. Right. And yeah. I guess unless they're working through target and they happen to see one of those t-shirts yep. or a mug. <laughs> While we're on the topic of surveys, there is an unearthed arcana survey for uh, the subclasses that we mentioned a few weeks ago, the ascendant dragon monk and the, Drake Warden Ranger. So if you had feedback on those subclasses, you can go to the Wizards website and give them your thoughts. A couple of mappers in the news. Uh, Devin Rue has maps for Icewind Dale available for sale. Yeah, it's pretty neat. You, um, These were part of the Beetle and Grimm's box sets, these special maps she did that have a lot of style and flavor to them. And uh, the digital map is a steal. I mean, it's $5. And then there is what's called a prop map that's 36 by 23 inches on stained, aged, and sealed paper. Each one is slightly unique. Uh, that is for a lot more, but, um, but it is really neat and it has a lot of characters. So if you did not get one of the Beale and Grimm's box sets, but you want a really flavorful map to use on the table, this is a great way to do it. Sweet. And one of my favorite mappers, Mike Schley is also uh, selling his official Icewind Dale maps. Uh, he did maps for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. If you read the book, if you looked at the book and re- remember his style, you could tell it was him. Yeah. And they're both uh, maps, official maps are available digitally and in vinyl as another print option. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So he's added this recently to where he'll print battle maps or area maps. Um, and the, the area, you know, like the battle map starts to scale, right? So you can put minis directly on them and you can choose the kind of coding you want. And it can be an actual vinyl print. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought the prices were really all very reasonable. Um, the digital stuff is just, I mean, so cheap. It's really great. Um, though I will say, you know, for any of these kinds of maps, you can sometimes get them through various D and D resources, either they'll make them available on a product page 
where someone some of them will be in um, Dragon Plus issues. But this is a great way to get them all. Bundled digital maps for 15 bucks. Um, he has a code Frozen North that you can use, all one word, capital N, capital F. Frozen North gets you 15% off of all the digital content. Mm-hmm. And then the print maps are, are pretty reasonable as well. And if you join his mailing list, you get a code for 30% off. So you double your savings. Yeah. So if you do a lot of digital play or, or even in-person play, uh, although probably you're not doing that as much now, uh, Mike is, Mike's site is, is a great place to, to get that stuff. Yeah. Lovely, lovely maps. So uh, let's switch over to Adventures League news for, uh, for just a second here. The guidance for the release of Tasha's has been uh, released for the Adventures League Forgotten Realms uh, campaign. Do you want to talk about that briefly here? Yeah, please? so they it, it's a fairly quick read as you as, as typical of these kinds of documents. Um, it basically says you use the Tasha's rules for origin and proficiencies. You do not use the custom lineage rules that are in Tasha's. You can change a skill or a subclass is something that Tasha's offers and you can do that at levels 5, 11, 16, and 20. They give you some the rules for training um, you, they tell you how many downtime days and goal to spend. Um, and it's only done if there's a subclass you've not had before. So if you're switching subclasses, you pay that cost and, and now you've got it done. Um, it does allow you to have optional class features, the artificer, um, feats, spells, that's all available. And it falls under the player's handbook plus one rule, meaning that an AL, that's what D&D actually encourages for all campaigns, um, the rule is that your character can use the player's handbook rules and then choose one other book to use. So you can choose Tasha's as a source and then any of these things are available. Mm-hmm. Um, they also say that the Bard College of Creation cannot create things that you don't have access to. So if it's something non-mundane, non-typical, then you, know, you, you, you must have campaign uh, documentation that says you can make such a thing. Um, but that does give you more flexibility in what you can create. Group patrons are not used, but an adventurer could say that they are, which is, I think, a nice way to handle it. And similarly, sidekicks, you don't use those rules unless you're instructed to do so by the adventure. And environmental hazards would only be used if an adventure adds them. Mm-hmm. There you go. And... Yeah, I think the most interesting oh. piece there is, is sidekicks. Yeah. Because you could have seen AL say, hey, have two players bring a sidekick mm-hmm. and living Greyhawk, Greyhawk did that in third edition. Right. So this is a, an option that the, the AL team could have gone into and didn't. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember that for like living Greyhawk that got a little sketchy Yeah, because you would have groups who would actively avoid adding another player because they wanted more treasure. So they would say, you know, well, we only have three players, but we're going to bring our sidekick. So there, now we have four. It's a legal table. And the DM would like, but there's a guy right over there who doesn't have a table. And he's like, please, you know, they would either try to avoid th- that player. You know, it, it got it got yeah. a little bit sketchy, as I said. So I, I'm, I'm not upset that they didn't. But, yes, it's definitely something that that could happen. Yep. Uh, and you can see it coming future. in down the road. And uh, another a- bit of AL news, the Facebook discussion groups are closing down or have closed down uh, in favor of the Discord channel where news and uh, discussion will be happening. Uh, I don't really have too much to add to that. It's no, I think for me, the biggest concern is just around the AL website, which they are apparently, it looks like they're turning off. Um, and I would just say that that's fine, but there does need to be, I think, a site where you go to and it's really easy as a new player to go and it should be logical, right? So to me, a Discord server is not, server is not logical. I don't, as a new player, go, oh, I, I have to go to some, you know, yeah. channel within a channel within a channel of the D&D enormous Wisc Discord. It, it should be something clear like a web page that really lays everything out. And so if the wizards website for AL becomes that great. 
mm-hmm. but it but it needs to be maintained. It needs to be on time, and it needs to speak to not just an invested player, but to a new player, and and both, right? Because a new player uh, needs a certain set of information, and they, they need things explained to them. They they need buy-in, but the invested player must be able to get what just changed. What do I need to know now if I've been away for a bit? Right, and so yep. on. And, and new players sometimes need community. Uh, they just need the right community. <laughs> they, they need a positive yeah. um, community that will support both them and the campaign rather than a community of just constant complaining that drives new players away. So, yeah. And when a campaign goes on this long, just infrastructure wise, things are going to have to change. Um, whether it yep. be internal wizards policies on, you know, where content needs to be held, you know, all of those things. If you've ever worked for a big company, you know, these things change, right? <laughs> Usually yep. it changes a lot quicker than, you know, every six years or eight right. years or however long we've been going. Uh, so yeah, I've been around wizards and organized play long enough now to, to actually be surprised. It's been th- this long that, uh, we haven't had a wide scale change. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the only thing constant in organized play is change. Yep. And your next podcast is the latest from bone stone and obsidian. What are you talking about? Tayas? Oh yeah. Bone stone and obsidian is the podcast. That's part of the same network as ours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it is my favorite podcast, uh, other than this one, because it covers Dark Sun, which, yep. as we established earlier, best setting. So you get all your Dark Sun lore and news, two great co-hosts. And uh, yeah, so the, the latest podcast is out. I have not listened to it because I've been focused on this writing project, but it'll be my reward when, when I hand this in. There you go. So maybe next time when you tune in, this podcast will be called Down with Dark Sun. Uh, there we if, go. If uh, Teos has his way. But yes, uh, if you are into Dark Sun, that is definitely a great podcast to listen to. Did you say if? What's that? Did you say if? If what? If you're into Dark Sun? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, for those of you who have not yet been indoctrinated into the glory that is Dark Sun, just one listen to the, that podcast and you will burn all your other settings except for Dark Sun. My work here is done. Yes. Now. We cut the news a bit short this week uh, for a reason, because this book called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came out. And Teos and I have had this internal struggle, uh, not about Dark Sun, because that is the best setting ever, uh, but about how to cover this book in a timely fashion. Um, you know, we've got our rhythm down here with about, you know, 25 to 30 minutes of news and 25 to 30 minutes of, of reviewing uh, Icewind Dale, Ram of the Frostmaiden. So we were trying to figure out how to inject Tasha's into this. So what we're going to do is starting next week, we're going to keep our news segment much shorter. And we are going to start discussing Tasha's uh, as as part of this first section of, of the podcast. And then we will continue for the second part of the podcast to cover the Icewind Dale book. So for our Tasha's section uh, this week, we're just going to give it a quick overview of what's in the book and what we are going to then go on to discuss. You want to give us a quick rundown to Yeah. So, you know, they start with an introduction where they tell you here's what's in the book and they make a really big point of it's all optional. And then they give you 10 rules to remember um, that uh, it's kind of interesting to see them, them go through these rules. Uh, and then there are the various sections of the book that, that we actually kick into. Yep. So each week we will take a different section. It may be a, you know, a deep dive into one section or maybe a quick overview. Um, but uh, chapter one of Tasha's will be character options. Um, the new customization of your character using origin versus race as, as the uh, foundation for your character. Talk about changing skills and subclasses over time. A look at the new version of the Artificer that is now available in all settings, including Dark Sun, uh, instead of just Eberron. Uh, We'll look at new features and subclasses and then uh, the feats. And chapter two is group patrons. Patrons come over from the Eberron setting as well and get a tune up there. 
Yep. Uh, chapter three is magical miscellany. It's spells, personalizing spells, and then magic items as well as tattoos and the descriptions of magic items. And chapter four, which is the one I often look at, Dungeon Master's Tools, uh, running a session zero using sidekicks, parlaying with monsters, and then a, a section on environmental hazards that includes supernatural regions, magical phenomena, and natural hazards, including Sean. Say it. The avalanche. Yeah. Woo! Just, let's make it core. Yes. And puzzles. <laughs> yeah, and puzzles. The puzzle section is amazing. Yeah. That, was, that was actually the first place I looked at after the avalanche. Uh-huh. Uh, from from Alyssa, yeah, yeah, Alyssa Teague wrote that Alyssa section, Teague, yeah. and it's really useful. I can't wait to talk about it, but we're not supposed yeah. to talk about the details right now. Okay, so starting next week, we will dive into Tasha's a little bit deeper. So let's get on to our main topic, which is count it eleven, part eleven of our look into Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Uh, wow. Last time we began with chapter two and, and talked about its general setup as well as the optional uh, wilderness encounters that, that it suggests. And so this week we are going to get into the places of interests that are laid out in chapter two. Do you want to get us going on this? Teos? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about this last time about kind of how this is set up. And, and if you if listeners recall, there, uh, there are either quests that can explicitly come your way. And this is a great tool for DMs that want to give more direction to the characters. So you can literally have an NPC come up based on what's given to you and say, hey, I need help with this thing. Go check this thing out. Here's this mystery to solve. And that leads you towards a location. Or you can use tall tales where while you're in a tavern or walking through town, you overhear someone talking about something. And the idea is that that piques your interest and maybe feels a little more organic, a little more sandboxy to take you to one place or the other. What's not really structured, we talked about that sort of quest board. Uh, There isn't a lot of advice here about how to, you know, dole these out. So you will have to experiment with how to do that. Um, I like to do two to three, you know, more than that options at a time. And I like to have some control and say in it. So I will present sort of three or so options to the players with one being maybe a little stronger push that I think is really awesome. But then I will follow what the characters do. And if they show little interest in one, I take that off the list. And so I create my own board of quests and rumors that the characters are following. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the basic concept here is that, you know, they are fourth level and they're going to go and do this through six to visit these various locations on these sort of disparate quests. Yep. And it's important to note that some of the quests are triggered by NPCs that they may have met starting right at first level. Um, you know, some of the towns and there's not really there is might be a mention of it in that first chapter, but it, it's the, uh, the weight behind it. Really, you don't get a feel for that until you come to chapter two and read about the quests that, you know, the dude who lives above the temple in this town, who has a friend out in, in this cabin, you know, you don't realize how important that might be or, or what it, what it means until you read this chapter so that's why it's important to read ahead uh, particularly in this uh, source book to be able to connect those dots and realize what you're doing ahead of time if you introduce it if you introduce a quest without actually knowing what the quest <laughs> is well, yeah and, and or how hard it is right and, and i think there's very little warning about that you know oh you could follow the goblins back to their town you better not do that until your fourth level, by the way, because right. you'll get spanked by a lot of goblins. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that's why we're doing this work for you. That's why yeah. we're uh, letting you know what these quests entail. Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to hit generally before we jump into one? Uh, most likely. I probably made notes that I completely forgot about. That's uh, the story of my life. It's, 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 basically what i just mentioned in that story flow Mm -hmm. um yeah i agree with you it's it's hard as a dm to make a good storyline make a good character plot line 
when the encounters that you're given aren't explained well ahead of time. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I've learned running uh, or editing or DMing for organized play is I can get an adventure and I can read it and I can say, oh, these encounters are awesome. The characters are going to love this. Everything's great about it. And then when I actually run it, I realize there's no reason for the characters to go from <laughs> encounter one to encounter two. Yeah. Uh, or they, they may never know that encounter two is even a thing. So then as the DM, I have to come up with a reason for them to get there. And so that's something that when I write an adventure, I'm always very, very, very aware of. And this adventure does not do that connecting well. And we've, I, already, we've already talked about yeah. that. Can I add a little bit to that, which is that I think one of the secrets is that it's all in how you present it, right? So if we go back to that job board that's in the um, Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, one of the reasons that works so well, even though it gives you very little about a quest, is you know that on the other side of the door where these things are posted mm -hmm. is a grumpy guy that doesn't bother to tell you any details. Mm -hmm. So as a player, it all mentally makes sense to just get a sort of little quest tiny hook because yeah. that's what's going on. That guy didn't even bother getting any information, right? And so this is what you've got. And so it all, it all works. And in your mind, it works. But what, what's harder is when you're a DM, and the world of Icewindale is supposed to feel organic and 10 towns supposed to feel like your home. And then you're supposed to have, you know, someone randomly at a table mention a thing. And that's supposed to come off as smooth and integral to the narrative. Mm -hmm. and, and it's hard. I mean, a very experienced DM can pull it off, but it's hard. It takes sort of years of practice to do that. And the adventure does not get you past that. If anything, it makes it a little harder to do that. Yeah. That's where I liked you know, two episodes ago, we talked about how you could um, tie the characters to a town, right? Especially mm -hmm. if they end up running for, for speaker. Mm -hmm. And that involvement then can mean that other towns bring quests to them. And now it makes right. more sense. Now it has a narrative underpinning a logical basis in everyone's brain of why a random person comes in and tells them a rumor they heard. Mm -hmm. Hey, hero, you know what I heard? I heard. Yeah, right. And it makes sense. And, and as Teo said, it can be just as simple as rather than having them wander the 10 towns, establish a base, and then you can pick any character to deliver these rumors. Yeah, uh, and that and, ties into what was really neat at the beginning of the book. You know, they mentioned this um, sort of reputation system, right? The renown that, that happens. Right. And, and so that's a good way to represent that, that people are coming to them. Mm -hmm. So right. do we, do we want to dive into the actual... Yeah. Quests themselves. All right. So the first quest is called Angujuk's Bell. Yeah. The tall tale or the quest uh, line that leads there is they say the Frost Maiden lives on a misty isle hidden among the bergs in the sea of moving ice. There's a mighty strange whale with a boat on its back that swims in those frigid waters. I bet it knows where the island is. You can catch the whale at Angujuk's Bell an old anchorage, but you must ring the bell hanging by the pier to call it. All right. Cool. Very, very oh. flavorful. Uh, mm -hmm. I like that. So that's just the rumor they hear that can lead them there. If they take the full quest, what is suggested is that someone hires the characters to uh, take uh, to escort this uh, whale oil salesperson to the, uh, the place where this whale oil is harvested. And to get there, you're going to need to travel on the back of this whale. So one's a rumor. One is a full quest uh, hook with a, a whale oil merchant from Bryn Shander hiring the characters to escort uh, her to the site. Yeah. Uh, so pretty cool. Uh the one danger bell uh, pun intended <laughs> is that the island that they're talking about Oral's Island is, is a big part of this adventure and it's not until chapter five that they're supposed to get there. So, you know, you could throw this rumor out and they'll be like, yes, let's do that. Hey, 
the curse, Oral's curse. Let's go solve it at level one <laughs> or four, but yeah. yeah, or even four, right? And well, it, it, and it's funny that even if this doesn't create a conflict, like you go, okay, you know, maybe they just call it her island. We're not gonna, we're just gonna do our mission. We do our mission, we leave. Then later you're gonna be like, now do that again. Yep. Yeah. So it's a little, that's a slight conflict, which is too bad because this is a very fun sort of whimsical idea. Um, and there's some nice parts around how you attract the whale to come there. Uh, the whalers that show up and try to offer you money to hunt the whale, right? There's some neat parts mm -hmm. to what can happen around this scene, but it has that bit of, I don't know how to balance this with the fact that this island really matters in chapter five and we might come back here anyway. So why am I doing it twice? Right. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with repetition if the repetition has variance, right? The first time means one thing. The second time has to mean something else. The delta, the change between the two times can be a very powerful thing. Yeah. Um, but as Teo says, if you just go there, ring the bell, the whale shows up. You go there, you ring the bell again, the whale shows up again. You sort of lose the power of that moment unless there is a change. Especially when it's something fantastic, right? Like you want this awakened whale with a boat strapped to its back to be really quite interesting. And, and it yeah. creates a bubble of air when it goes under the water. So there's a lot there. And, you know, you could customize it, right? Like maybe the second time as you're going on the whale, you see like a sunken ship that you want to explore, you know, something like that, that makes it more interesting or Sahua can come out and attack you. And, you know, that would be all, uh, yeah, a lot of fun to add something like that. If you do it twice. Mm-hmm. The uh, the other thing that's slightly off is if you do the quest route where this whale oil uh, merchant wants you to uh, accompany her to the bell where you ring the bell, this whale comes up and you're like, yo, whale, could you take us to some guys who are killing whales and harvesting the oil out of them? Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh <laughs> that may not be something that this awakened whale would want to do. And I don't think that's ever quite addressed. I think they do say sort of not to mention it. Okay. Um, you know, sort of not bring it up, not, not, but that also all expects the encounter expects that the players will go along with this and the characters. And I mean, I would be shocked if there isn't a character in the group that says, I'm not down with this. No, no. Especially given that I'm going to ride a whale out there and lie to it, right? Uh, right. But <laughs> so, what did you load me up with? Nothing. Nothing. Slash, Peanut butter. <laughs> slash. Slash. Yeah. It's. Uh, it is. It is an interesting conundrum. Yeah. But, but that the, can also be fun. So. Yeah. So exactly. Exactly. Uh, so just again, know your players, know the characters, yeah. what they are going to or not, uh, and I love the fact that as presented this sort of encounter quest is uh, it's presented in a way that you can go in many directions. You can go a combat route, you can go a role-playing route, you can go sort of an exploration route, um, an interaction route. It's, it's something that I would love to see more in products um, where rather than just have the encounter and you know, it's going to be one thing or another, give those options for yeah. how to run it in a different way that your players may gravitate more toward. Yeah, and it's easy to customize. Great points. Yep. All right. So that is the first quest. Uh, did you have anything else to want to say no. about that one? Okay. Then we will move on to quest two, which is the black cabin. The tall tale for this is there is this old black cabin that's been around forever no one knows who built it and lots of folks got a bad feeling about it some say it's haunted but there's a gnome in Bryn Shander who claims that magical experiments are being performed there the gnome's name is copper and you'll find him at the house of the morning lord all right so this is a tall tale that doesn't actually lead you directly to the cabin it leads mm -hmm. you to the quest itself, which is Copper Knobberknocker, who we talked about uh, when we talked about chapter one, 
who talks about his friend Macridus, who's out at the Black Cabin, trying to end the everlasting rhyme through building a magical device. And uh, Copper wants you to go out and deliver supplies to Macridus, uh, who you know he hasn't heard from in a bit. Yep. So, not an unusual or uncommon quest slash rumor uh, line. Yeah, it's nice that this one's located near the town. So this is a good one to kind of use early on if you don't want to spread too far to start with. Yep. But again, this is one of those uh, times when you have to remember that this is a NPC, uh, this Cobber Nabernacker, that they might meet at first or second level. And the, it does mention uh, in that first meeting that uh, Copper will tell them about Macritus and the Black Cabin. But they you don't want to go do this at first or second level. Uh, that could be trouble. Well, there's trouble no matter how you slice it. So maybe it's not bad. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so do you want to talk a little bit about the quest itself? Yeah, I mean, first I want to say that Copper Knobberknocker is an A-plus name. So yeah. whoever whoever did that, that's that's A-plus work right there. You, you could sit for hours and not come up with something that tasty. Yeah. Uh, and also, McReedus is a name that pays homage to The Thing. Uh-huh. Um, it's the character played by uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, yeah. And uh, so, so that's kind of fun that McReedy, you know, makes an appearance here. Um and so, so it's, what's interesting about this is, uh, I, on one hand, this feels like you're going to a spooky cabin, and you very much are. Um, but also, there is this strong concept that's going on, this, this narrative around what Macritus is trying to do, which is that he has assembled a magical device called the Summer Star to control the weather and solve all of the rhyme problem. Right. Uh, Which is kind of interesting to add that element in as here. And unfortunately he used the item incorrectly. It incinerated him and made him into a restless spirit. Mm -hmm. Like like (laughs) you do. And this is one where as I was reading this, I'm thinking, how does this work? Because Mm -hmm. the way it's laid out, it's sort of, you really have to give this the whole read. Yes to understand it, right? Because you have all of the approaching the cabinet cabin and there are dangers and so on. And then there is the artifact and a, a mystery angle to it. And you can get possessed by it. It's wow. Yeah. So, so I was, you know, it, there's, there's the main header, which is the name of the, the uh, quest, which is the black cabin. I'm like, okay, the first subheader is secret of the black cabin. And that's where it talks about what happened to Macritus when he died then the uh, subheading is the spirit of Macritus and what the spirit does. I was like, okay, you know, good information. And then, and then the next subheading is dying in the black cabin. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> How many adventures have I read where one of the major subheadings is what happens if the characters die here? Uh, and, and more like when they die. <laughs> yeah. So, so, it's, so it says if a creature with intelligence of three or higher dies inside the black cabin, its spirits, if it has one, leaves its body and assumes a spectral form. And I'm like, okay, why are you telling me this? This is different. And the you know, warning bells are going off in my head. And that's because the characters, at least some of them, are probably going to die here <laughs> if, if this encounter plays out as it should, which can be great fun and it can be hellaciously horrible depending on your players right if some players play along with whatever happens knowing that you as the dm are along with them telling a fun story a great story yeah and some if they die you know what's going to happen they're going to rip up their character sheet they're going to storm out of the room they're going to shut down their their (laughs) roll 20 fantasy grounds connection and you'll never hear from them again so Putting this into a an encounter, into a quest, is cool. It's also very tricky and dangerous as as a DM to run. Uh, yeah, so, and, and the way it's laid out, you, it really just, and I'm not sure there was a better way, but you must kind of go through it and think it through 
and this is not one to run cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to make your notes and, and think through it and, and know how to do it. And as you said, it involves that trust between DM and players. And so you want to run this at a point in time when you think that trust is doing well. Right. Um, when, when the players are confident that you take your job of giving a good time that you care about their feelings, you know, that that's when you're going to be running this encounter. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how I usually handle something like this, especially if I'm not sure how a player is going to react is I have a handout immediately ready when the thing happens, which is this, the, this explosion of this uh, (laughs) artifact, doing was it like 90 points of damage yeah 90 damage half on a successful save okay so you have like fourth fifth level characters taking 90 points of damage good chance that that's going to kill them outright Mm -hmm. um even halved that's depending on what shape they're in so i like to have a handout ready so i say boom okay this this happens how many people are, oh, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Okay, here, 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 read these. Yeah, uh, and that's let great. And let them read it right away so they know what's going on. Because this artifact and what it has done allows them to uh, now interact with Macritus and have some cool, fun role-playing and get uh, get to the point where they get back into their bodies. <laughs> Yeah, and so let's let's back up now that we've kind of established that. So what happens is your party's going to come to check out this black cabin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see that it looks sort of damaged, um, old. It's on the edge of a precipice. Um, so once, in fact, yeah, it hangs over a 120-foot drop. Mm-hmm. And there are two different opportunities, both when you're walking around the cabin and when you're in the cabin, to take 49 points of damage as you fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might want to give a save to catch themselves halfway down, or maybe it's just a way, you know, if you need to trigger that death, this is another way you can do that. Right. Um, you find a burnt skeleton, which is Macritus and the artifact. And so if a character picks up the summer star, it glows brightly with golden radiance. Uh, that's sort of all you need to tell them. And if they don't drop it, <laughs> Everybody within 10 feet takes 90 damage or half on a successful save. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. So once, once they've died, <laughs> they go into the ethereal uh, realm, the, the border ethereal. Yeah, border ethereal. Yeah. And uh, they can actually do some neat things. They can exert up to five pounds of force on a creature or object no more than five feet away from it on the material plane. So they can pick up a pen and write messages or draw messages in the soot of the burned uh, place. So they can do some neat things and they can also speak to other spirits of the border ethereal, which is where Macritus is. Yeah, and that's a kind of fun way to, a fun thing to think through is sort of what do you want the player to do to communicate? You know, do they pass notes to you? Do you and they go to another room and have a discussion? Um, but, you know, some way it's probably worth, you know, like you said, that great idea of having a handout, then maybe, you know, you also give them a pad of paper and, and notes can be provided back and forth or uh, depending on your table, you know, maybe you want to just say, well, actually, digitally, it's even easier with little private chats, but you yep. may want to say something like, you know, we all know that, uh, you know, Sue's character died um, and just pretend you don't know the things she's telling me. Yep. <laughs> That's one way to handle it. Exactly. Uh, uh, but so what's funny is then at some point, oh, actually, you know, what's funny is when everyone dies. Mm-hmm. It does cover that, right? What if yeah. everybody's within <laughs> 10 feet and everybody gets obliterated? And that's when this werebear shows up. That is a sort of renowned werebear that you can pick up little quest bits and rumors here and there. And and she uh, will heal everybody. Yep. Yeah, she's she's the one who can get the device working to bring everyone back. Um, And when the device is 
activated, uh, it doesn't necessarily solve the entire problem, but it, it is, it is a pretty significant thing then, uh, being able to cast control weather, which is only an eighth level spell. Uh, right. So it's, um, after the, the character does that, it's no longer um, magical. Well, that's the thing that's so strange to me. There are a couple of things. This is the part where, where I kind of mentally go, wait, what? So McReadus somehow didn't succeed at a DC 15 arcana check to know that he needed a third ring around the artifact to stabilize it. Right. Okay. I mean, all right. Um, and then that this thing that he's doing to solve the rhyme problem is literally going to cast control weather once. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. I just, I would play it as he, he thinks he knows what he's doing, but he doesn't. So he's created this thing that is definitely magical is definitely powerful, but it doesn't have the power of like an artifact. Right. This is yeah. just a, like a one-use item that he's he's ended up coming up with, so the characters are able to use it once uh, for eight hours if they maintain concentration, but after that it just fizzles out and everything goes mm -hmm. back to normal. But it does get the attention of Oral, and yeah. uh, it, if and when they use it, she sends uh, a little. Uh, messenger to them in the <laughs> cold light walker a cold light walker which is a cr5 monster uh-huh to and ice methods just for fun uh mm -hmm. to kill the character and anyone else at the cabin and if the party's six level or higher add another cold light walker why <laughs> now this you know characters for for one combat Characters can take on a lot, mm -hmm. uh, but if they have just got gotten blown up real good <laughs> by this thing, so a lot of them might be low end hit points. Uh, this could be a very challenging uh, thing. Yeah, it it is um, surprisingly tough as a sort of surprise added on thing but but uh but yeah as you said characters and i think that the cold wet walker um is is a, a fairly strong creature mm -hmm. uh methods tend to be fairly strong even though or let's say methods kind of uh they pack a punch mm -hmm. but go down quickly right so it it's I, I like the pairing like this is a neat tactical pairing yeah uh because you don't want the cold white walker to be around a long time, but you really can't afford to have methods around for long. And so it, a lot of it depends on how they're positioned, where they are. You can make this pretty brutal yeah. if you want. Yeah. I mean, um, the tactics it gives say they uh, use their fog cloud spells to engulf enemy spellcasters and obscure the approaching cold uh, light walkers. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's a possible, uh, not necessarily surprise round, but you definitely can't hit them at, distance they're going to be right up in at in your grill before you know what's happening yeah and it can do um two attacks for 25 points of cold damage with its cold ray yeah. while as a bonus action blinding someone yeah. which is pretty good yeah yep so it's uh it it, it is an, i like the overall encounter it's just one of those that deviates from the the expectation of most players so you have to be aware of that and plan for it and be ready to soothe uh some possible upset yeah. and then and then, and then beat the heck out of them with a cold light walker <laughs> uh yeah anything else about this one uh, there's a, a lot of humor to me in how if you uh you know, use the summer star. Lathander is happy about you having done so and will bring anyone who died back to life. Yep. Except Macritus. Right. Macritus <laughs> because... gets to go to the next stage, but it's sort of funny, like you're actually a failure, Macritus. So Yeah. <laughs> because screw you, Macritus, that's yeah. why. Yeah. I think this is while while there are a number of little sensitive areas where I when I was when I would run this, I would want to really carefully think about it and and 
you know, work through it mentally. I think there's a lot here that's fun. I think this is very memorable. Like players will remember this session. Oh yeah. The time this happened. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, very memorable. Uh, the third quest and probably the final one we will cover today is the cackling chasm. The cackling chasm is introduced uh, by a tall tale. Nabira Morskull and East Haven Fisher owned an enchanted fish hook that could catch magical fish. While she and her friends were out on the ice one day, a pair of filthy gnomes attacked them. They killed Nabira and stole her fishing pole and hook. Hunters from East Haven tracked the gnolls to an icy rift in the ground, but were too scared to go farther. And if they are uh, handling this via a quest, the Atrovis, the speaker of Cairn Koenig, uh, considers Knowles to be a clear and present danger, so he wants them taken out, and he points the characters to the Cackling Chasm. So this is a nice use of the lore and an example of how when you read something in the Monster Manual or in a book like Volos, you can take those concepts and make them into a neat encounter. So a Knoll fan, Fang of Yenogu, has created Knolls out of hyenas, which is how Knolls are made, and brought them to Icewind Dale. Have a great plan. Let's go feast up north. It'll be great. Well, there's this rhyme. So now they're all starving. And all the gnolls who are created out of hyenas are no longer thankful for the creator and, in fact, want to turn on them. And that's the kind of interesting piece that's going on in this encounter. Yep. And that makes the encounter uh, even more interesting because when the characters start interacting with the gnolls, they realize that the gnolls... Um, may be willing to step aside and let them take down their leader. And the only problem that I have is how to role play that, how to get that point across without just stepping in as the DM and saying, these gnolls obviously don't want to fight you. Uh, so. And gnolls don't speak common, by the way. This is a true story. Uh, so. I would, with most of the groups I run for, I would do this in a comical way where, where the gnolls just kind of look at the leader and just kind of give them the little head tilt toward the leader. Like uh, that's, that's the one you want over there. Uh, but it's, it's, it's an interesting role-playing opportunity that needs a little more explanation for DMs uh, who might have trouble getting that point across or who have players who just see a knoll and instantly attack. Right. Cause I think the wording it says is, you know, they don't attack intruders right away. And this appears in a couple of different rooms where there are knolls. Uh, but, but like, as you said, it's hard to portray that. And, and what I would generally do is this is a great opportunity to choose a character that you think is good at reading people has a high wisdom score and have them make an insight check, right? So describe something like, you know, gnolls gather around the entrances to this cave, but they do not immediately attack. Make me an insight check, mm -hmm. right? Um, to, to, if you don't want them just maybe slaughtering right. gnolls. And the gnolls will attack. It says the gnolls will attack in self-defense. And the problem is characters don't ever read that as self-defense. They, they read it as, I want initiative. Right. Um, you know, they, they were foolish to hesitate for whatever reason. I don't care anymore. Now I'm in my bloodlust mode and we will win this encounter. Right. Um, so it's hard to then ever backpedal away from that. So if you want this to sort of play out as that kind of narrative, you, you need to build it in and be a little more forceful, right. I think. And I would also be tempted to add a boon to the characters who don't just slaughter the gnolls haphazardly. Uh, I don't know what that would be. I would need to brainstorm that a little bit, but you know, even have Yunogu uh, give them a blessing if there is such a thing um, for for not uh, beating up on his children, quote unquote, <laughs> um, or or just something that that uh, rewards the characters for thinking outside the the d20 box yeah. of i'm just gonna roll but um, yeah i don't know 
And, and there's some other fun things. There's uh, when you're leaving, six knolls are coming back from a hunt. And that's sort of, you know, again, you have to, again, deal with the, whoa, you know, we're not your enemies or are we? Um, there is a magical fishing pole. Yeah. The, the <laughs> magical fishing pole is interesting. It's actually the hook, right? That That's magical. Or, yeah, the hook. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's odd that this what this it's the hook of fisher's delight what it does is actually more powerful than it seems possibly so if you throw this hook at, at would tied to the end of a fishing line into water of at least a 10 foot cube after each hour roll a d6 and on a six a, a magical fish appears on the end of the hook so if you do that every hour for, you know, 16 hours. Although it only works once a day. Once you capture a fish, oh, you can't do, you can't do it day. until okay. the next dawn. All right, that, but that it is a fish sense. a day, which is, right. you know, you're assuming you, you, you know, don't have horrible odds. Six hours, you've got a fish. Yeah. There's a 60% chance then that the fish you get is magical uh, and will provide a day's worth of nourishment. So you can feed someone, one person, um, every day with this magical hook, basically, which is what the knoll leader is doing. Although it doesn't specifically say, <laughs> that, say that. Because in his chambers, there is a fish sitting on, like hanging up on, a, on the wall. No, I missed that. Exactly. Right. And, yeah. and so... You know, that's something that could be used in this encounter yeah. that that he's eating well while the rest of these gnolls are starving. Uh, they they're going to be upset about that. And so if if you can find a way to get that information across, have the gnolls arguing in a way that the characters can understand, um, make the characters feel good about figuring out this little puzzle, this little social puzzle and taking advantage of it. Um, that's when it's a memorable encounter. That's when a month later, you're like, yeah, I remember that time, those Knowles and we talked to them and they turned on their leader and we helped them. That was cool. As yeah. opposed to, yeah, remember that time we rushed in and defeated 13 Knowles and found a fish hook. Yeah. That was, I think, you know, nothing says, nothing changes their stat blocks, which is a problem because even the null fang of Yanogu that you're supposed to take out does not speak common, only speaks abyssal and, and null. Yeah. So unless somebody has picked up one of those languages, you can't even speak to the boss. So it limits that interaction. So I would throw some common into a couple yeah. of these so that they can, you know, in a rough way, which can be fun role-playing sort of, you know, get some concepts out because uh, gnolls don't pantomime, right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, like exactly. they're built for slaughter. And it's one thing to say, take out our leader, but they're not going to sit there and mime it or write on right. chalk. Like they'll just give up yeah. and eat you or die trying, right? Like there's only right. so much a gnoll's going to do. So you've got to give them a little bit of common, I yeah. think, so that you can get some of these points across. Right. Maybe have the the gnoll fang of Yanogu try to plead with you, negotiate with you. Right. So he here's how I normally run this as a DM. I have the players able to hear or see the gnolls interacting with each other in Abyssal. If a character speaks Abyssal, great. Hmm. They, they win for speaking Abyssal. If they have a spell that will allow them or some ability that will allow them, let them use that because that, oh, I have tongues. I have comprehend yeah. languages, something. Uh, let them use that because that reinforces the coolness of something other than a combat spell. If all of those things aren't true, then have them able to speak common at least a bit to, to get the point across, but always try to reward the sort of outside the norm thinking uh, from your player base. At least that's how I, Tend to, yeah, to that's it. beautiful. I love it. Yep, absolutely. That's great because you want to, you don't want to provide a solution the module didn't provide that then undercuts players actually having a capability. And you want to reward toolkit spells and things like that. So yeah, you're, you're 
You're completely on point. Yeah, love it. So just a few tweaks. You you turn this, oh yeah, Knowles in a thing, uh, in a chasm, into a pretty cool, memorable encounter. Combat-wise, if you are someone that runs using digital maps and minis on the on the map, this map, as well as many of the other maps, are very, very small. Uh, you know, the, the room where the gnolls could run into when the characters enter from the main entrance, it has, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe 10, 11 full five-by-five five squares. So if you have six characters in that room and four gnolls rush in, there is not a lot of movement going on. And a which, lot of attacks of opportunity. Which can be fun once in a while. But I think, at least from what I've seen as I've read ahead, there are a lot of maps that are done in this, in this vein. This one's also interesting because outside of a room, you're in this ledge on this chasm that's shaped like a long mouth or, or wound kind of looking thing. And it's 200 feet down to the bottom. Yes. Uh, that you could potentially cap, catch on to 100 foot down, but that doesn't help you much. So it, it's, uh, you, you know, it's dangerous in that sense. And, and you don't want characters to fall. That's not the point of this encounter. So it is, it's, yeah, it's a little strange. Now you could make these, treat the map as if it were 10 feet squares, which it's yeah. not. Uh, and that would then solve it. Um, but yeah, I agree. These It's a little too tight for what's supposed to happen in these rooms. Actually, more than a little. It, it is too tight. Yeah. So, yeah, it's as I'm looking at the map now, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's definitely yeah, that's a good catch. There. I had not noticed that, but it's true. It's, you know, some of these rooms are one, two, three, four, five, six, six squares and some partial squares. That's yeah. only the characters can fit and, and they're not going to. And, and there's always a bad one of the, to me, one of the worst things about encounter design is encounters that uh, unwittingly encourage half the party to be outside the room mm-hmm. uh, to where they can't quite see things or interact with things. It really draws away from what you're trying to accomplish with the encounter design. You want your characters in the thick of it as things spring so that they can fully participate and engage with everything. And you want the cool monsters you have to do the things to any of the players. Right. Um, having some sort of wall where like, you know, only the fighter and the paladin can be targeted. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I, at, you said it at best. I could think of 10,000 examples now of, you know, encounter design where, you know, the, the monster wants to pounce, but can only move 10 feet instead of the 20 yeah. feet needed to pounce. You know, all of those things are coming to mind and that's a discussion for a whole different episode. <laughs> Uh, but just keep that in mind as you prepare to run this uh, adventure that you may not want to use the maps um, that are provided as they are. You may want to alter them a bit to yeah. make them more manageable uh, for fun combats. And with this specific map, you can easily, there's the, they all ring sort of radially. So you can easily expand the walls that are on the outside mm-hmm. and it solves the problem in every room. Just, yep. you know, stretch stretch outwards um, and, and then you've got it or just make the square speed 10 feet and yep. just accordingly. There you go. So that is our initial look at the first three of the places of interest in chapter two. We will continue looking at them uh, next week along with our first in-depth dive into the content of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And so anything else you wanted to throw in for this week, Deos? No, no. These were three, you know, fun encounters. They all have things we can pick at, but, uh, but any three of these, I would be, they would be fun to run. Cool. And we will look at the fun of the rest of them next week. So we want to say thank you for our, to our listeners and thank you to our patrons who have gone to patreon.com slash MMP and given us some money each month to host the show. So thank Thank you. you. Um, If you are a listener, we would appreciate it if you'd spread the word of down with D and D on your social media accounts to let people know that you like the show. Uh, We do appreciate that as well. 
Speaking of social media, Mr. Abadia, where can people find you on social media? I'm in my house right now. And oh, oh, uh, social media. Uh, at AlphaStream on Twitter, alphastream.org for the blog. I can tell I haven't added anything in the last couple of weeks because I'm writing projects, but I have all these ideas. Yep. Yep. And I, you, am, um, I am on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or I often look at the Down with D&D forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com, where you can talk to Teos and me about what you are hearing over the air. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs. So, Teos, what do you think we should do now? Oh, sorry, I, I only speak abyssal. I speak abyssal, and he said, go kill some... It was either go kill some monsters or Dark Sun is awesome. I don't know. <laughs> Just you know, one letter difference in there. Both, both. Okay. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Down with D&D. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.